Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. My name's Judy Herman, and it's really exciting to finally sort of meet Josh Azuz, and I hope I've said your name correctly. So, Josh, yeah. Yeah. thank you. <laughs> Welcome to JR Out Loud. Thank you, Judy. Yeah, you've got quite a long biography with plays. I mean, there's been a fair few, haven't there? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've not written that many. I've written, I'd say, three. Oh. And then a couple of others that haven't gone on yet and are sort of still in development. Mm. So I feel still quite like a fairly new writer, but I've been doing theatre for quite a few mm. years. Yeah. Mm. I suppose it's that, isn't it? I wrote the Mikvah Project. A beautiful play of Assassin of Mikvah, the Jewish ritual bath. I think when I was 27, um, or 28, 28, I think. Mm. You know, I suddenly stopped wanting trying to be a director and I started focusing on the writing. And so then the last five years have been off the back of that. Really. There was also Come In, Sit Down, a Muslim Jewish company based at the Kiln Theatre in Kilburn. I know that's something you directed, and, yeah. and I mention it because it's a Muslim Jewish project. Yeah. And we need more of those, and in, in a way, the, it sort of refers to the, the play we're here to talk about, which Once Upon a Time in Nazi Occupied Tunisia. That says a lot, not quite all, but it does <laughs> say a lot, doesn't it? I mean, mm. immediately you've got a bit of the old Sergio Leone music going round in your head, which is quite inappropriate, yeah, but you know what That's I mean. <laughs> yeah, great. And actually, uh, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, that reminds me of Tarantino, of course, mm. so, who was also picking up on that. Would you ever cite Tarantino as also some sort of influence, or is it much more the spaghetti western? Yeah, I'm sure they both are. I mean, Tarantino himself was very inspired by the spaghetti westerns, and... I think when I was reading about Tunisia in the 40s and some of the descriptions of like the camps and some of the Nazis and their names, it made me think of a Western, which is where I, I think that's how I got to the, the Sergio Leone reference with mm. Once Upon a Time in the West. But when I was younger, you know, I definitely, some of the first films to really make an impact were Tarantino films, which I, I saw, I think, far too young. <laughs> and so they stayed with me. And so, yeah, I'm sure that comes into the writing and, in some in some ways. It is that sort of abs absurdism and menace going together, which you actually make very funny. So you, I almost feel guilty to be laughing at this outrageous Nazi that you invent, Grandma, who benignly mm. knits. No, he doesn't. He malignly knits, doesn't he? Who... Yeah. But there's so much more to it. I mean, it's very exciting to have Aid Edmondson in the show. He is amazing. But I, I just felt... You had found a way of telling us some history we know nothing about by making it very personal to the characters that you invent. But there's, mm. you know, this Muslim couple, Arab Muslim couple of Tunisians, and the Jewish couple. But it's not emblematic, is it? I think that you have actually have made them. I think they're three D. I find them very three D. I, I love the two girls on the beach being defiantly modern, both of them. I think, yeah. I think one of my favourite moments in the whole play was um, four ice cream cornets appearing. It's quite hard to carry those, I think, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's not what you expect from what I've said so far, is it? So um, I think you know, there's a sort of easiness and an unease as well, even outside the fact that we're in Nazi-occupied Tunisia. So what drew you? to Nazi-occupied Tunisia, apart from the characters? <laughs> <laughs> I think probably um, 
I'm Sephardi Jewish, and I think it was interesting to find out about a World War II story sort of seen through the eyes of Sephardi Jewish couple and a Muslim couple to sort of understand the World War II experience from the Arab lens uh, and from the non-European Jewish lens. You know, rightly so, that most of our narratives about World War II are European narratives because the scale of it dwarfs what happened in North Africa. But in a way... I'm very blessed that that wasn't my history. You know, my, my family were all in England, pretty much. So I, I didn't lose people in the same way that most, you know, most European, most British Jews will have lost people. So, yeah, so I think it was probably that, a way of exploring World War II from a slightly different lens. Mm. Well, as I say, it's not a story that I think that many people know. So I hope your play gets some sort of wide um, public recognition because it was completely eye-opening to me. And... Mm. Uh, I knew nothing about all that. And I know now there's a big opening up of you know, Morocco Jewish history, uh, and that's being shared, which I think is wonderful, which, again, would be a Sephardi history. And I suppose those various North African countries have similar histories. But Tunisia, no, that was a closed book to me. I didn't know anything about it. But I love the fact that you don't preach. That's really important. I mean, it's not, this okay. is not theatre and education, is it? <laughs> No, no, no. no. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you think that. Yeah, no. It's very important to try and tell a story. And I'm. I'm aware that there is chunks of history, and there is sort mm. of chunks of there is quite extensive political conversations. But the important thing is, is that we need to try and sort of care about what will happen to these characters mm. beyond the sort of fun and menace of their interactions with the Nazis. Yes, I mean, are they going to survive, that sort of thing? Well, you know, I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not giving anything away. It is suspenseful, I should say that, which it jolly well ought yeah. to be, with, given its provenance. You sort of wear your learning quite lightly, but I love things. There was a moment where Yusuf, Yusuf is the Muslim and Victor is the Jew, and mm. Yusuf says, don't quote the Quran at me, and um, Victor says, actually, it's the Talmud. And that's... Beautiful moment because they're in that sort of a bit of one-upmanship, but it's nice. It's there, uh, and it shows yeah. how similar they are. And it's a beautiful yeah. line. Well, the line is, um, yeah, Yusuf says, "Please don't quote the Quran at me." And Victor says, "That's the it's the Talmud," and Yusuf mm. says, "That either." Yeah, and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's not me uh, trying to be glib. That is just one of these moments where there's a line that exists in both the Quran and the Talmud, and maybe the phrasing is slightly different, but the sentiment is sort of exactly the yeah. same. Whoever saves a life saves the world. Mm. That's the line that sort of exists in a manner of speaking in both books. Yes, there's an awful lot of lines and stories that do, and I think it's mm. beautiful to try and bring them together, as you do, mm. as I said. But and I won't. I don't want to talk about. I mean, there's a lot of personal relationships that are up for grabs in this story, and I don't. Again, I don't want to muddy the waters with that, but they're quite complex, aren't they? Mm. I think everyone's trying very hard not to give away the game. It would be very, very bad to do that. There's something else in your background, isn't there, as well, that drew you to the idea of this outrageous Aid Edmondson character? Uh, yeah, I, I did some training at Philippe Gollier, which is a clown school mm. in Paris. There's a school that um, Sasha Baron Cohen went to, and, and I don't know, maybe there's something about the larger-than-life quality of, of the Nazi character called Grandma that maybe I wouldn't have sort of got if I hadn't gone to a clown school, in a way, maybe. I mean, you can't, I don't really know where these things come from. I definitely did, as well, uh, borrow from Christoph Waltz's uh, 
incarnations of Nazi and Inglorious Bastards. Um, ah, uh, yes. Mm. And, and, of course, the very act of casting Aid Edmondson um, in that role, we were very lucky he agreed to do it. It gives you a sort of comic and anarchic currency that may be uh, straighter actors you wouldn't get which hopefully means that we, we like enjoy spending time with this Nazi. And also, obviously, hope he, hopefully he's also not a caricature, but um, that he's, he's just sort of fun to be around. And I think that's sort of provocative for an audience, you know, I hope, in that we like, we like being with him. Yes, I, I think that totally comes over, and it's quite interesting because we sort of know what sort of character he used to play. Again, it's a very, very mm. anarchic character that you couldn't really predict. And I think he was actually relishing the opportunity to show another way of yes. showing that character. And also a few years down the line, nothing wrong with that, is there? Yeah, no, mm. of course. Mm. No, it's, it's, um, I think he's, yeah, he's bringing incredible nuance to it. And um, what what's great about his performances is you can't ever pigeonhole him. He keeps sort of changing things. So he's not just the funny Nazi, nor is he just the evil Nazi. And then there's points where, you know... I think we forget even the word Nazi. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of important to try and write beyond that label, which sort of closes down one's thinking, I think. We see, we hear the word Nazi and we close down our thinking. He's a frighteningly educated Nazi, isn't he? He knows all the background yeah. and comes up with all the right phrases that he then subverts yeah. about Zionism. And um, he seems to know a great deal about Palestine. And, and he sort of sends up the Jewish story. Well, he would, wouldn't he? But, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's, well, that's you. But I think Aid Edmondson is relishing character. You cannot be at home with, but you can't completely um, want to consign to, the, I'd say, the Nuremberg Trust. Well, you would, wouldn't he? But uh, it, as I write in thinking, I got the impression that that, Getting sent to North Africa is kind of the dustbin, but you know it's not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if that is is true. One historian told me actually that it was great to sort of be in sort of North Africa under Rommel, and then. But a part of me uh, thought that looking back from a 21st century lens, there's something about all the narratives being about Europe. So that actually, mm. if you was a a person fought in North Africa, would you look back and think, oh, well, actually, in a way, I was sort of the footnote in history rather than, you know, rather, and without sort of sounding um, facetious, but rather than if the headlines are Auschwitz, then what was happening in Tunisia is, is this little drop in the ocean. I was interested in how, like, someone might be aware of that. And it's impossible, obviously, from a 21st century lens, how you might look back on yourself and, and also how... There's something more, I think it's better sort of territory for drama if the characters, even the powerful characters, are not entirely um, pleased with their position. Mm. They might do more desperate things, they might be more uncertain, and in that uncertainty, we as the audience might also sort of uh, find ways of relating to them more. Mm. This is not Hermann Goering or Goebbels, they don't have entourages. This guy, he's got power, but he lives in a tent you know, in a labour camp outside Tunis. Like, this is probably not what he imagined for himself. No, and I think Aid Edmondson has sadly injured his leg quite badly. But, but Yeah, he did, yeah. Mm, but, and it's a terrible thing to say, but it does so add to his performance. I think even if it gets better, he'll find himself wanting to limp about with a stick because he <laughs> is clearly meant to be an 
an older character. As I said, he's been consigned yes. to North Africa. Gra yes. Anyway, the whole name, I mean, I think he knows that. It's very self-mocking to call yourself Grandma, even if it is about the knitting. Yeah, We're making yeah. him sound awfully cosy. He really isn't. So, <laughs> mm, I mean, he knows all about what's going on in Europe. Mm. 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 So, can we talk a little bit about your Sephardi background and how that feeds into the play? Because it isn't anything to do with North Africa, is it? No, no, no. So my, my heritage is, you know, my family been in England really sort of, I think, probably three generations now. They originally came from Turkey, Iraq and Syria. And then I've got a bit of my mum's, uh, was she's Ashkenazi. So she's got, she's like half. So she's, uh, I think her family is from Russia. But um, uh, the North Africa thing, yeah, no, I, I don't have any connection to Tunisia, really. For the show I interviewed, my sister-in-law's grandmother was a Jewish woman living in Tunisia during the Nazis when they occupied. So that was a very helpful insight into this period of history. Because wow. there's not many people, <laughs> there's not no. many Tunisians who are around now mm. who are old enough then even, you know, to remember it. So that mm. was sort of fascinating. And actually, like, the scenes eating ice cream on the beach, that was because my sister-in-law's grandmother, you know, she said she remembered going to the beach and eating mm. ice cream with one of her Arab friends. So these little things, mm. there's not, you know, there's not a huge, there is a, a degree of history, but I'm not a French speaker or an Arabic speaker. So, you know, I did what research I could and I spoke to historians, but I also had to sort of, I was very reliant on a few sort of personal testimonies um, and a few interviews. And then also just quite a lot of imagining what I think might have been going on. As you can hear, the ice creams caught my imagination. <laughs> Probably yes, had yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A fair few other people as well. And it's, it's beautifully lit at that point as well. You you really do feel you're on that beach. Um, would, did yeah. she did she talk about relationships with Muslims? I mean, you know, did she have Muslim friends? Did she say? Yeah, well, she said there was someone. Uh, she called them Arab. I think Arab friends actually. Mm, that's and what I wondered. Said, yeah, yeah. She did. I, she did. I got the sense that. That the communities coexisted for many, many years. I don't know how close they were, and I, I don't think it was such a rosy picture. I don't before the Nazis, mm. but I think, relatively speaking, if we were to compare how Jews fared in Europe, um, I, I didn't get the sense there were any pogroms. This doesn't give much away, but there's a singer. They quote a singer called mm. Herr Dijuini in the play, and he was a sort of Tunisian Frank Sinatra. And I actually interviewed his granddaughter for oh, this play. Wow. Um, <laughs> And, you know, he was a Tunisian um, sort of, a Tunisian Muslim legend. And he, but, and he was married to a Jewish woman. And so there was some <laughs> intermarriage. And mm. I don't think, I don't think the family necessarily accepted it um, or, or it was easy. But I think that, you know, when you have communities that live side by side or in the same streets for hundreds and hundreds of years, there's going to be a lot of intermingling even if it's not faith, but in terms of language and culture and, and I suppose in romance as well. Do you find these wonderful byways and highways that you're going down, is that part, is that part of the, the delight and pleasure and the challenge of writing the play? What, what do you mean exactly? I mean, when you start, when you decide right I'm going to write about a certain subject mm. but let's put it another way then how I mean you've got you've obviously delved into all sorts of relationships and stuff like that. where do you begin and how long does it take I mean it sounds like a long process even before you were writing is what I suppose I meant yes I think I think this one was long and um 
you know, I, I'm going to watch it tonight, and I'm sure this can, I'm going to watch it thinking, well, I'll probably maybe change that bit, tighten that bit. You know, mm. it's a constant process. It never feels finished. The starting point, I explored some of these ideas with this Muslim Jewish comedy group. And I think probably I began with the idea of Jews and Muslims living together and then things changing. And then it naturally led on to a conversation about Israel and Palestine because I felt it was cowardly not to go there. Mm. But there was also an opportunity to start at this moment in history before the creation of Israel and to sort of explore Arab-Jewish relationships before then, before the stain, in a way, regardless of politics uh, and whatever you, where you stand on this. The creation of Israel has tainted how we see Arab and Jewish relationships. So it's nice to go to, for a moment to a moment before. But this one took, you know, I'd say I wrote the first draft about three and a half years ago, but I did that workshop devising some of the ideas maybe eight or nine years ago. It, I wasn't writing in that time between them, but it took a long time. It took a lot of drafting. Um, you know, I'm trying to balance quite a lot of things. I want it to be funny. I want it to sort of be truthful, emotional, sincere, all those things. It's got to give a bit of history and politics to, for the a British audience to understand context, but I don't want to weigh it down. And it's a constant balance. And, it, you know, and it won't work for everyone, but for some people it does, thankfully. <laughs> well, as you can tell, it definitely works for me. Um, actually, I'm interested in what you're saying about Israel because there's a lot of conversations about Palestine, about where mm. is that the right place to go. But I'm very, I was yeah. particularly interested in what Yusuf had to say. He seemed to have connections with Palestinians and he, he was worried about this project. And it's not exactly with hindsight you're saying that, is it? I mean, you're trying to put yourself in this position where they didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, I, th I think so. You know, I think... Mm. That there would have been, I've set Yusuf up of, it doesn't give anything away, but he's part of the Constitutionist Party, become the political party, um, who, who get independence in Tunisia. So I thought he, he might have had some contact with Palestinian sort of uh, independence movements or, or political groups. His wife knows very little about it. Mm. And I think it's true to say that most Tunisians, you know, they were dealing with their own problems. And also Palestine wasn't considered a problem. But uh, it felt like um, it was useful for Yusuf to know a little bit about mm. it in order to challenge the Jews' decision to go there. Yes. Um, and it was also important to reveal, as you would be, the naivety of two Jews who feel like they want to go there in regards to what might happen. Like, how were they to know <laughs> what would happen? They were scared and they're running for their lives and they're only focused on the present. Well, I'm sure a fair few people did exactly that. I mean... <laughs> got to go somewhere and uh, yes getting getting to a land oh all that rubbish about milk and honey but yes not rubbish but <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean it, it still yeah, sounds yeah. like a project I think they do quote that actually um, yeah yeah I think the other thing that's interesting is that as the, the shifting situation in Israel-Palestine is that one day you are having to take into consideration the lobbying of rockets one way and, you know, the, the murder going back the other way as well, um, you know, people dying on that border. And the next day, suddenly, we, we're reading that there's some sort of entente or at least conversation going on between Gaza and Israel, and there's money being lent to Gaza. I don't know where, to, you know, it's, it does move a lot, doesn't it? It does shift. It doesn't change what you've done, but do you find that 
it's interesting that it's so live, such a live wire. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I find it interesting. I'm just sort of so aware of it. I'm just mm. so aware of of Israel all the time, and I don't know mm. why because I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've been a few times, but mm. I, I'm uh, I, I'm probably aware of it because I'm so um, unreconciled with it, and so I'm so conflicted about. Mm. The idea of a Jewish homeland, um, and I'm so conflicted about what's currently going on. Um, it, you know, I don't know if I could write the play if I was very clear in either camp, or, or, or I don't know if I would write the play if I knew how to sort out the situation. But like everyone else, I'm totally clueless, and as I get older, I'm more and more clueless about what should be done. Um, and I mean, thankfully, I'm a playwright, so I don't have to worry about those things. But mm. What this play allowed me to do is to just try and ask myself the the difficult points, some of the difficult points that Yusef makes and some of the difficult comparisons that Grandma makes and sort of just sit with those and mm. try and sort of work those out a bit more. They're not sort of designed to be provocative. They're designed to sort of um, put all the things on stage that I'm unsure about mm. and to sort of let them breathe and... It's about re-examining them from a sort of slightly different angle, hoping they might reveal something to me, if, if not for anyone else. You do, though, put in the mouth of your... Um, she seems to have changed her name, Lois, doesn't she? I noticed that she... Lois. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, her name is L-O-Y-S now. Mm, it was yeah. L-O-I-S. Yeah, <laughs> so Lois, is that right? Am I pronouncing Lois, Lois, yeah. that's her name. Yeah, so Lois, who is the, the Jewish um, girl, woman, looked to me as if she didn't really want to go to Israel to start with, but... You do put in her mouth these sort of eloquent speeches about we thought we were at home in one country after another until we found mm. we weren't. So, I mean, that's, mm. that's very much, isn't it? Um, I mean, we have heard that trope before, but mm. it's true nonetheless, isn't it? I mean, mm. and I, I think Grandma sends it up wickedly as well, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah, fortunate. yeah, he does. Mm. He sends it up first and then she... Yeah, it's a very simple question. Where do we go? Um, she lists all the places they can't go or they've been and they now no longer are mm. there. And of course, yeah, this information is not new. For, for half the audience, this information probably will be not new. For some uh, people, it will be new because I think, thank, thankfully, and it might all change, but, but, you know, British Jewry has been incredibly well established and grounded and we, have, we are very far away from this idea of having to leave um, our homes. You know, we are our feet are very in the soil. And I think what it was an interesting metaphor between that and Tunisia, that Jews similarly had been there hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, but then uh, from 10 years from on this play, the play set in the early 40s, you know, by from 1960, there was just no Jews there pretty much, very, very few. So, I mean, that's just fascinating, isn't it? That you can live somewhere hundreds and hundreds of years and then within 15 years, everyone's gone. Yes, until we weren't welcome anymore. I think that's the phrase you use, something like that. Is that right? Have I got that right? Uh, yeah, that's her, that's her perspective. And yeah. I, I don't know, I can't speak of that, how true that is. Mm. Um, but she feels that in that moment. And I think that's mm. certainly her truth. And I can sort of relate to that. Yes, I, well, I think you're allowed, aren't you, to give the different characters different viewpoints. That's the whole point, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, actually, it's an interesting thing that you sort of raised there, but not quite. Presumably, it's, we're not just all Jews sitting there watching it. There must be a lot of non-Jews watching it, for whom it might be more Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I was being very crude, saying 50% are. Mm. I, I don't know the makeup but, mm. of the, the mm. audience, but um, it, it's great 
for the Almeida of doing a play like this mm. because it's going to attract people who know nothing who, about this history. And that include lots of Jews who wouldn't mm. know much about it. And I didn't know much about it until I dug into it, you know. So it's not like this stuff is really out there. Um, or it's out there, but it's, it's, it's harder to find. So, so, of course, the benefits is that you hope that you've got an audience that isn't like a London audience, which is everyone from every, you know, every hue. And that's the dream of theatre, isn't it? Bringing people together and watching something and trying to sort of find the universals, even if the experience of the audience will be largely quite different to what the characters are experiencing. Yeah. That's what the hope is, of course. And I wouldn't want to present a play like this to one type of audience, no. you know, to one homogenous group. Not oh. that, you know. No, that would be awful, um, actually. No, it doesn't, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it'd be interesting to see what people brought to it and then what they took away from it, if you see what I mean. Well, that's all, yeah, that's <laughs> all what we're talking about. Yeah. What you bring to, that's mm. well put. Mm. What you bring to it, what you take away. Yes, I like that. So, uh, I just mentioned, you know, this whole, the Sephardi background is so interesting um, because people know less about it. But when you say you're from a Sephardi background, I mean, how much does that impinge on your life? I mean, do you go to shul? Do you like Spanish Ladino music? I mean, I'm just trying to find out <laughs> what do you eat at Passover? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm sure, I don't know consciously how much, but... Um... Yeah, look, I mean, it's very, like, my, I've got uh, I've got two children, very small, and my dad, when he picks up my son, says, Mashallah Habibi, which is obviously an Arabic phrase. Mm. I mean, that sounds sort of mad that my dad, he grew up in Ealing. Why, like, how <laughs> is crazy? How they somehow found mm. their way, you know? Um, so, and I think I'll say the plate probably is different. Like, we eat rice on Seder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I'm being very sort of reductive here. Mm. It's, it's hard mm. to know how it impinges. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, sh- I'm, I'm not sure, you know, uh, yeah, it's hard to know. Look, I was part, I'm part of a Spanish and Portuguese community. I sung in their choir oh. for 15 years or whatever, you know, and grew up in a relatively orthodox home, but of course a fairly traditional. So yes, yeah, so there's, so it's, I'm aware of it, but I don't actually know, I know very little really about the history. Um, and, you know, day to day, I'm probably not, I, I don't know if I feel particularly Sephardi, or I don't even know what that means. Mm. Yeah, well, um, can I ask you which community it was that you grew up in? I mean, it was Lauderdale Road um, mm. synagogue. It was my local, and it's a uh, local synagogue. Yeah, and so would you have said, did you go to Shaw quite a bit, or Hayden? Um, I don't know what you yeah, call Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm not good now. I used mm. to be much better, <laughs> and, uh, I um, when I was a teenager, I'd pro- I don't know, I'd probably go because I sang in this choir. I'd probably yes. go once a month, maybe, mm. and then they would do weddings on the Sundays. Mm. It was a good little job actually because you got paid to sing oh. at weddings. Of course, the songs were they're all the Safadi tunes mm. uh, and bits of, and the odd Ladino song we'd sing Lovely. as well. So I was sort of integrated in a little bit. Was that only before your voice broke, or did you? Your voice broken. No, it was it was after my voice broken. Oh right, yeah. oh wonderful. It wasn't fifty years. What am I talking about? It was much less than that. It's probably a uh, maybe it was 13, 14 to sort of early twenties. Mm. 
Um, the singing was in me. I, you know, I'd done a lot of it. You know, and it comes into the Mikva project. I'm not sure if you remember it. I do, a lot I about do, yes. One of joining the, ca- the choir. and mm. So, yeah, it was there. And it's sort of a slightly embarrassing thing almost to admit now. Like, it's sort of, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't sound very cool being a sort of chorister in a synagogue choir, but that's what I was. <laughs> Just on a personal point, we sing this thing for Passover about a kid that father bought for two zuzin, which is coin. <laughs> but you sing Il Cavritico, which I absolutely love, which is the same story. Yeah. It's a chain thing. I'm not quite sure what they're called. Yeah. But did you do you know that? I mean, does that ring a bell? I don't know. I don't know that one, no. Oh. And because my grandfather he, he was he's Ash, he was Ashkenazi. Ah, um, mm, so you got he both. liked mm. that Zuzin story. So mm. we sung that. Ah. You know, so it was a little bit more mixed. It wasn't mm. so sort of fundamentalist mm. Sephardi. And just so you know, that phrase Habibi, which you use a lot in the play, so is that sort of like bubbler then? <laughs> yeah, it means just darling in that. Yes. They call Habibi is for the feminine. Yes. Um, I, I uh, guess that it was something like that, but it's a, it's a real term of endearment, isn't it? Which, yes, which, yes. Which yes. you use in both ways slightly. Ironically, and uh, don't you yeah, yeah, too? I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah, but it was lovely for me because I didn't know it at all. So, uh, right, okay, and, and and obviously you you know you go to plays of the Jewish background. There's an awful lot of bullers in it, if you see what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> so it's lovely for yeah. me. Um, well, what's next? Actually, I mean, have you got a next coming up? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm writing a play for a theatre company called Headlong. Uh, Headlong, wow. Respect. Yes. So I'm <laughs> writing a play for them. Um, and then I'm trying to write a, a TV thing mm. uh, with an Austrian production company, mm. uh, which is about, it's also unfortunately about Nazis. Ah. <laughs> I wouldn't normally have, I don't normally write, it, it just, it's just the way it's worked out. Mm. Uh, but that's a story about Nazi scientists being resettled in America. Ah. And given sort of new lives, right? Um, so uh, yeah, so those are the two sort of projects that are taking up my time. But those yeah. are commissions, by the sound of it, both of them. Is that right? Yeah, they're both commissions. So mm. the, the TV thing's a pilot, which mm. you know we don't know if it'll be made, mm. uh, and that the commission is a play for Headlong, and that is set in a demolition site, and a labourer has been swallowed up by the earth. Mm. And it's about two siblings, they're developers. And one believes that this labourer hasn't been swallowed by the earth and mm. he's just not turned up for work. And the other sibling uh, believes that actually the labourer has been swallowed up by the earth and that the ground is cursed and they should stop building on this bit of earth. That's the sort of premise. Lots of, lots of being buried in earth in your plays then, isn't there? Well, that, that, again, that's a, it's funny how that sort of... Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's, uh, that's yeah. a connection there. In this play, the new one, they don't see it literally. Yeah, I mean, for anyone listening, this one opens in a labour camp where an unfortunate Jewish um, prisoner is indeed buried up to the neck in time. There's been an awful lot of talk about Beckett because of that, obviously, but I, I, didn't, I thought that was very slightly off off-piece, I don't know. Were you thinking Beckett? Was that...? No, I mean, that came from reading about a punishment called the tomb, mm. where you weren't buried up to your neck, but you were t- told to sleep in a tomb. Mm. And I've just sort of slightly adapted mm. that. I've taken the kernel tree, and, so, and then it is mm. someone buried up to their neck. So it came from a sort of historical fact. Mm. But of course, most audience members are more familiar with their Beckett 
the Tunisian punishment camp <laughs> techniques. So they see Beckett rather than the history, which, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm also aware when I wrote it, like I know enough about Beckett to know, oh, people will probably say Beckett. And look, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of his, but I, I, unfortunately, I don't know if I can quite claim that I am following in his footsteps. I'm not sure. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, it was a nice, it's a very nice thing if people say it, but I don't think it's true. It's yeah. just a, one image. Well, this particular member of the audience didn't really want to go down that rabbit hole. That's the right way right. person. Thinking about it, rabbit hole's not bad, is it? I didn't feel yeah. that it was what where you were going anyway or taking us. I, no, I did no. feel the punishment thing much more. So uh, yeah. I hope that, I hope you're pleased to hear that. So uh, I just thought I would mention it because there is there is that meeting point, yeah. isn't there? And that's the headlong one, yes. Oh, the, the headlong is um yeah, yeah. set on this dem demolition site. Right. And these okay. two developers, brother mm -hmm. and sister, yeah. Oh, brother and sister. Now, that's important because like brother and sister, horribly, yeah, family I, business. I immediately thought. Two men, isn't that awful? Sorry. Well, no, no, no. It's, it's <laughs> Sorry, not, I sisters. I don't, I don't think it's awful. I think mm. that's probably because when we think of property developers, we probably sadly don't think of women. So no, no. That's, that's, that's how the world is currently structured, isn't yes, it? Yes, <laughs> I'm afraid so. When is that due to be seen and where? Oh, I think it's quite. It's still very much in drafting oh, okay. stage, so that sort of... It's, uh, I would say, at least a couple of years away. Hmm. Okay, well, I'll be there anyway. Do you want? Oh, I mean, the, the Mikva project. Just to look back to the the only other play of mm. yours that I had, I've seen annoyingly because there have been a fair few. It started in the east and it migrated from the East End Theatre, the Yard, over to the Orange Tree in Richmond, isn't it? And it, was, and it yeah. had a very mixed audience, not a mixed reception, and people loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And I was sitting in an audience, they were all different ages, all different backgrounds, which they would yeah. be over there in, in, in Richmond. And they were all loving it. And it was a play full of surprises, and I absolutely loved it. So we've got a lot to look forward to, haven't we, mm. Josh? And I you're, hope so. you're, You are being... Bigged up as a name to watch, but I think that it's not bigged up. I think it's completely earned. So, well, that's um, very... I hope other people agree with you. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's kind. Thank you. I, I think so. I really do. And uh, I really would recommend that people do go and see Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied Tunisia, which does have an amazing ring to it, I think. Um, <laughs> and you know, they will not be disappointed. I think they will be intrigued. They might be... Oh, there are lots of things they might be. And they will laugh, they will cry, there will be moments of disgust, but they will always be engaged, I think. You will always be engaged if you go and see it, listeners. So I just want to thank you, Josh, for your time today and talking to me about not just, ah, I'm not going to say it, keep saying it, not just once upon a time in Nazi-occupied Tunisia, I'm getting good at this, um, but talking more widely about yourself and your background. Well, thank, thank you, you, Judy, for having me on and, and allowing me to talk about myself. It's always a lovely way to spend an hour. So thank you. Thank you for taking an interest.